I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me Rich Wolkowitz. Rich is an attorney, 25 plus years, has owned and sold several businesses, was a generation three family business leader for his own family a non-family CEO to two single-family offices and founded a niche family office consulting firm in St. Louis, where he lives, travels globally for families as well. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it, Brian. Thank you for having me on. So you're also a fellow recovering attorney like myself. Before we get into the work you do with families, how did you find yourself in this position? What led you to, to working? What is in the financial services space, a fairly niche job. Sure. So, you know, life takes you on different courses. You can't plan it. When our family office decided to not continue to Gen 4, I really accumulated a lot of wealth and knowledge in the space of family offices growing up in one. And then as a lawyer, serving families with family offices or helping put them together. And I just thought it was a great area to be in. And fortunately, life had its way and I was asked to join and help set up uh, with two different families, their family offices, and just thought it was a big need out there. Family office means a lot of things to different people. I don't provide the integrated family office services. When you hear professional service firms say they have a family office offering, that's generally what they do. They provide the tax, the wealth management, the accounting, the bill pay, things like that. What I do is operationalize the family office, which is a real unique offering and how to bring a family office to life. So that's my, that's just been my path as a lawyer, as a family member who operated a family office and as a non-family CEO to two family offices, really trying to find that operational excellence of financial prosperity for the family and making sure there's durable family harmony. Those are kind of the three principles I, I operate under. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, the term gets thrown around a lot these days, 
But, you know, for someone like you that's been in the business for a long time, how have you seen just the concept of a family office change from when you enter into the business to, I mean, there's a whole ecosystem around family offices and, and service providers and vendors. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, if you were to use that term, I think people would look at you a little funny. You're right. No, it's evolved dramatically over the last 30 years, probably accelerated over the last 15 years. And now, you know, over the last five years or so, it's become really a, a fluid term that people like to use. So, you know, growing up in a family office, I didn't even know we were in a family office, right? I observed my father, who was the leader of our family, operate both the businesses and take care of the vast number of family members. I just thought that's what you did as a family business. Uh, but it turned out that really it's much more formalized than that, even though it kind of grew organically. And now with the proliferation of family offices, due to the pro proliferation of wealth, liquidity, succession ha happening from one generation to the next, families are trying to figure out how do I structure and keep harmony within the family? How do I make sure I don't lose the assets that we've created? And, and how do we tie it all together? And so it's really evolved into kind of three main areas, I would say, family offices are starting to kind of settle out. Those that are existing family offices, how do they continue to operate better and stay healthy? Or if they're in transition from one generation to the next, one branch to another branch of the family, or maybe going from family to non-family leadership. Those all require different levels of uh, strategic planning and thought of how to incorporate the next gen so they feel a part of it. Sometimes existing family offices are really unhealthy. They've outgrown their mandate. There's a lot of pressure to generate revenue to pay for all the services that the family's done. And so they've entered into some non-traditional, maybe direct alternative investments and have put some stress on the family. And so again, they're looking to maybe recast or reimagine right sides the family office for who they are today. So that's, you know, one area is existing single family offices. Another is the most common and least understood and and most prolific throughout the world, which are embedded family offices. And, you know, those embedded family offices are those that are existing operating companies and they're asking their employees of the existing operating companies to perform personal services, whether financial or non-financial in nature. And there's a variety of services that get provided through embedded family offices. And then the third type there are concept family offices. The, those into great liquidity either through inheritance, through wealth transfer, uh, through a sale of a business. And they're trying to figure out what structure, what organization works for our family to help protect us and help nurture us along. So kind of shaking out into those three existing single family offices, embedded family offices, and startup or concept family offices. And so let's go through those in a little bit more detail because I think the terms do matter. And this world of family offices has become complex. When you talk about an embedded family office, you mean that there's an operating company, there's this business that is family owned, privately controlled, that is selling widgets. And then there is a group, it could be family members, it could be non-family members that are not in the business of selling widgets, or maybe they do that part-time, but they're also actually managing and deploying capital on behalf of the family into alternatives or maybe providing concierge services like bill pay, et cetera. But it's often within this greater context of this operating company. Is that directionally right? Yeah, that's correct. Think about taking an example of a real estate development firm or a real estate firm, for example. They're out there acquiring property, 
redeveloping property, managing property. So they've got experts and employees throughout their organization that's doing that. They probably have a really competent CFO who's trying to keep track of everything. And the family members of this real estate firm say to the CFO, hey, can you figure out how to fund my child's 529 plan for college? Hey, here's the investment statements. Can you manage that and maybe go talk to the wealth manager? Hey, our bank on a refinance needs to see personal financial statements. So can you get all that together? And hey, you're doing a great job and all that. You know, our vacation home and at the lake or in the country needs some help. And can you take one of our workers who's over at the property doing property management to go fix that toilet or remodel the kitchen on the side? And um, so there becomes a blending, sort of a co-mingling, if you call it, between the business assets and the family's personal. And, and that's where the problems just start. Yeah, I mean, there, I interact with a lot of families who, you know, they've had this wildly successful G1 entrepreneur. They have this operating company that's done very well. And then they bring somebody in from the operating side and they say, hey, you're now going to <laughs> be my family office person, figure this out. And we end up having coffee at a conference and they have no clue about this world or <laughs> what it even means to be a family office. And they're put into a very, I think, challenging position, frankly, that's unfair to them oftentimes. And they've got to figure this all out on the fly. Maybe before we get into kind of how to manage that or what you think are best practices there, why is it that these people are thrust into this position? What have you seen as the consistent fact pattern behind the rationale? Because these, you know, theoretically, these first-generation wealth creators are smart folks, right, that have done very well. And they usually are good at hiring and, and obtaining and retaining really good talent. This just seems like a bad business call oftentimes. That's a really great setup. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the basic fundamental principles that they use to deploy and get success in their business, they definitely throw out the window many times when it comes to their family office. That great discipline, that great focus that they had in their operating company, all of a sudden doesn't become necessary or it's a distraction on their family office side. And they look at that as more free and they don't have to follow governance and they don't have to follow those processes and procedures. This is, we made our wealth. Let me do the fun stuff over here while I do the hard work that's focused over here. So the guardrails come off and when guardrails come off, it becomes a free for all many times. And, you know, they need, their, their business is probably so complex. And then the wealth accumulation and all the issues that come with it, not only the financial management, but the tax, the family dynamics change dramatically. How do you manage that and still the values that they want? So you combine all of that together, this great complexity evolves with taking off the guardrails that they used in their business. And they don't have that transparency with their advisors. That's another key downfall that I see amongst family office principals, which is in their business, they brought all their divisions together for Monday morning meetings. Here, have transparency get coordinated. And so they do that on a great cadence. But when it comes to their family office, do they ever combine and have quarterly, monthly, semi-annual meetings with all their trusted advisors in one room? No, they don't bring their lawyers or accountants or wealth managers or insurance people, their real estate people together to say, you know, how will we coordinate this? And what do you know that I don't know? And how can we leverage this expertise for the value of the family? And that's part of what I do and bring together families. So my question for you, broader, do you think this 
since you've been doing this a while, is the prevalence of that fact pattern a function of just that's how these things developed oftentimes and, you know, entrepreneurs just kind of say, hey, this makes sense. I'm going to assign somebody there. Or do you think it's an impact of the idea that this term is used a lot now and that people just think that they need a family office? And so they say, okay, I'm going to spin one of these up and I'm going to make Jack or Jane in charge of it. So there's definitely, it's common now to be talking about, and all the professional advisors talk about family offices, and there's so much literature about it today. So one, it's planted in people's mind, but there, there's definitely approaches for families with family offices. Those that have developed over time organically through an embedded situation that just grow and grow, it's a different psyche than someone, you know, say from the West Coast who had a tech company, and all of a sudden they had a great accumulation of wealth by the time they're 40. Right. And also now they've got the money or they, someone who's inherited money. And I've seen families with hundreds of millions of dollars of inheritance. They didn't even know their families had that much because earlier generations never even told them they guarded that secret. So there's a difference between the sort of organic growth of a family office and the psyche that happens, which may be the, the example that we we're talking about where there's less guardrails and now they're trying to fix. So that's more formal structure but they don't know how to deal with it as well because they didn't grow up in that wealth. Yeah, it's it can be challenging, right, overall. So let's get to kind of best practices. How do you work with these folks? What are some of the things that kind of, if you're somebody listening to this and you have that setup, right, you have an embedded family office, when is it the right time to bring in someone like you? What are some consistent things that you see across your clients that makes sense for them to bring an advisor like yourself. Sure. So, so embedded family offices are, are a unique animal. Um, again, it's an outgrowth of an organic need that the family had, and they just plugged in trusted advisors with trusted employees, more or less, within their family and, and to help support them. So what I do is I first like to go in and really explain to the family or their trusted advisors, you have a big liability problem that you never even thought about. And so what is that liability? So there's one from a legal, there's at least one, but the primary one, and then there's one from a tax and accounting perspective. So, you know, as a lawyer, we're trained day one in corporate 101 law class, protect the corporate veil. Everyone forms a corporate entity primarily to protect themselves from liability. And how do you pierce that corporate veil? Pierce that corporate veil by commingling business with personal. So you treat the business as if it's your personal. Well, guess what? That's exactly what an embedded family office is if it's not structured properly. Now you can structure them properly. So if a business owner is going to get sued and a smart lawyer on the other side starts to dig in, guess what? You're not going to have that corporate veil protection. You could have personal liability. So one, you really need to understand how you're structured and how to structure it properly. Tax point of view, and all my accountant friends appreciate it, is their job. So lawyers are to protect the corporate veil. Accountants, one of their main jobs is to protect you from an audit. So a federal or state auditor comes into your organization and let's just say you are a state company and the auditor says, what are these five jet skis doing here? Why did you purchase five jet skis? Well, um, then they're going to start digging more and then they're going to find out that the company actually purchased, right? Out of company asset, of the company's funds, personal items for your lake. And hey, let's take a look at payroll. 
And let's wait, begin looking and see what all these employees are actually doing. And then they're going to find out that maybe some of these employees are sharing time or solely focused on the personal family matters and not the business yet they're being paid for assets. So from a legal point of view, from a piercing, from an audit point of view, you really need to think about how to structure this. And then I guess last, depending on what industry you're in, especially if you're heavily regulated industry, your license could be at risk if you violate one of those two things. If you're putting employees to do personal things in a highly regulated industry where they shouldn't be, it really could cost you your business license, depending on what that is. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the, <laughs> you know, that you talk to auditors have been in this world for a long time or tax folks, they come into the office and the first thing they ask is, where's the plane and how is it titled? Because, you know, especially for real estate folks in my world, it is a consistent theme. One of the things that I want to talk about in terms of this dynamic of this embedded family office where you have subject matter expertise, there's also issues of privacy here oftentimes, especially if the company, the operating company is very forward-facing but not everybody in the family office is represented in that operating company. I've seen a lot of challenges, especially with this generational transfers that occur. They're often very rocky about what roles people have, what are the rules around who can join when. So maybe kind of help us parse through that a little bit. So maybe it'll help. So when I do my families and their family offices, I like to focus on three components. One is operational excellence. How do you really perform and operate your family office with excellence? Two, how do you keep the prosperity that you've developed and that financial prosperity going? And then the third is, you know, you're doing this for a family, right? And so the important thing for a family to focus on high level is how do you keep durable family harmony going? And so that issue that you raised about confidentiality, privacy really goes into both operational excellence and impacts durable family harmony. One example would be just think about your payables clerk who does the payables in your company's accounting is also maybe doing some bill pay for the family members. They're looking at the principal's credit card. They're making payments there. They're helping to fund kill the children's college fund. Um, they're maybe paying tuition. And hey, they just funded a nice spring break for the kids uh, to go with their buddies and pals to spring break. And guess what? Company announced just last week that we're not having such a good year. And we're not giving raises to anybody. So you know, I've seen too many times, time after time, where that not only impacts the privacy, right? Because that accounting clerk, even though she's loyal, he's loyal, they've been with the company for a long time, they're going to go tell somebody, can you believe that? We didn't get a raise. I just saw the, the principal's, the owner's credit card bill, you know, bought his wife nice jewelry, sent his kids on a nice trip. And gosh, they've got this fund for college that's worth a couple hundred thousand dollars or more. Right. So how do they feel when they're making $10 an hour and they just didn't get a raise because the company's having hard times? So that's going to spread throughout the organization. It's going to hurt morale and it's going to make the employees resentful and the exact opposite of what the families worked so hard for to build that loyalty and trust with their employees. We put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. Yeah, it's a great point. And it really dovetails into another concept I want to talk about, which is, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but this fairness idea, right? In terms of who gets access to what, when, be it plain, 
the funds or these roles that maybe the next gen have within the firm itself, right? Yeah, I, I just had a breakfast with somebody this morning who was telling me about a situation where the family, it's an embedded family situation. They have a country home. It's a very large family. And how do they split the time amongst all the family members to go to their really nice estate? And not only that, one family member went there and didn't like, believe it or not, the mattresses were old, according to that one family member. And so she decided that all the mattresses needed to be replaced in the entire lodge. And guess what? The family members got hit up with a bill from the CFO because he splits the, he knows that there's a process when there's a, an expense, it gets shared equally amongst all the family members. And guess what? Some family members weren't informed that there was going to be $100,000 worth of new mattresses and their portion was X thousands of dollars. And guess what? They also liked the mattresses. So again, we're talking about something that they complained to the CFO who's running this really large business. And he's taking his time to talk about mattresses at an estate rather than focusing on the business. And the children now are all not having harmony and they're fighting over something called mattresses, something pretty petty. So, I mean, this is how it kind of bleeds in and the fairness and the process of embedded in the, in the complications. And there also just is an inherent challenge of, and I've had this play out with, you know, I've got a connection with a family office. He's supposed to be the embedded family office executive, but he still has a role in the operating company. And I, when you have lunch with these folks and you ask them, well, what can I do to be helpful? What introductions make sense? You know, referrals, they have like 10 different roles and you know, they're multitasking on a very high level. The mandates are confusing. And it's hard for me to keep them in mind for one singular thing. Whereas people who have just kind of a true single family office that they've stood up, it's very straightforward, right? They just want deal flow or they want access to other peers or like-minded individuals or on the operating company side, they just want to sell more widgets. It can be very, the mind share is a problem there, I think within the executive class. Yeah, those that run family offices are a jack of all trades. I like to call them a Swiss army knife. Which knife are they going to pull out depending on what the problem is that they're trying to solve at that particular moment? And there's not like a school or how to be a, a family office executive. You need to have a multidisciplinary skill set, not only in skills, but your demeanor needs to be flexible and has to be able to handle those both family dynamics and business dynamics. I mean, you could be meeting with the chairman of a large bank at one moment and dealing with a mattress crisis at the other moment. And so you, you need to really be able to pivot and doing that day after day and being that person that's on call 24, seven, 365, they're really amazing people. So we've covered a lot of the pitfalls and challenges there. Maybe, you know, how do you mitigate these risks or how do you evolve out of this problematic setup? Well, so there's definitely some techniques that you can use to, to sort of minimize. One is setting up the company, either if you're going to keep an embedded situation and you don't want to form a separate entity to manage it, you need to certainly have a, a shared services agreement as a minimum. And those shared service agreements don't have to be so complex, but there really needs to be a shared service agreement so you can show it to the auditor when they show up and say, why were these employees hired and what are they doing and why is the company paying for this? So one, there's an agreement between the company and the family to pay for certain services. And there has to be actual chain then of a check being written from someone in the family to the company 
for whatever that managed service agreement is. Maybe there's a $5,000, $10,000 month fee plus costs. So when those jet skis get bought, it took three hours of someone's time plus the cost of those jet skis. And you can show a paper trail along the way to both the auditors or to a, a, a lawyer who's suing you trying to pierce that corporate veil. You know, your banks also want to see that. So, you know, you're not even talking now about the exit of the company and there's a whole host of issues with embeddeds on an exit. But just from an operating standpoint, banks now and commercial lenders and credit committees are starting to look at embedded situations more. And, you know, they really don't want their line of credit being used for all the overhead for the employees that are hired to take care of the family, right? That wasn't the purpose of the loan. And so bankers today are also becoming more inquisitive about looking into the expenses and overhead of family-owned businesses. And, you know, there's an interesting stat I read, almost 50% of privately held businesses, so non-family member, but partners are together and they're doing that amongst themselves as well. So it's a big issue. IRS is on it. Lawyers are on it. And now bankers are on it. And so I think those that really step up and do it right, the bankers are actually going to say, well, wow, we trust you even more. How much more can we lend you? You're, you're operating with excellence. Again, that's one of my points. And you're doing things above board. So I think that really goes a long way. Yeah. One of the things I don't want to get into with you is I've got a lot of friends in the private equity business. And when they look at family owned companies, be it for a recapitalization or, or a sale of that liquidity event, they all, they all very often will see that, oh, the country club memberships are all run through the company. The plane is run through the company, even a second home or cars are run through the company. And not only is it a bad practice, it's going to impact your valuation and it's an opportunity for a retrade with a buyer or an investment bank. It just is not a good look. And so there is the opportunity to professionalize how the company is run. And if there is this embedded office, setting up that Chinese wall between the two of them. Yeah. So in addition to the management services agreement and the actual payment for those services on a routine basis, whatever the agreement calls for, I often recommend families and work with their trusted advisors on setting up maybe a separate division within a company. Maybe the employee wears two hats. Maybe he or she is actually in the accounting department doing bill pay functions there, but he or she is also on this other division and which you can do and, but it's formalized, right? And so your profit loss statement balance sheet is going to reflect really the true costs. So when you do go to either refinance or when you go to exit, you can justify to someone and say, you know what, here's the services we provided. This should not be included or it should be included. And, and you've got some rationale for it. So it's common today to set up a separate division to isolate those liabilities and that overhead and that expense, all of that. And when and how do you advocate for a true lift out for a group that is an embedded family office to say, no, this needs to be kind of a stand up solo single family office? Or when do you advocate for it to kind of maintain, you know, with, while doing the best practices, but saying, no, this organizational setup makes sense for you all. So, you know, there are some really prolific families um, with tremendous operating companies that use the embedded model and they just do it right. And it does not become a distraction. I I think it really depends on the discipline of the family and what the family is trying to accomplish. So if it's a tax-driven family office, right, maybe that is more justifiable to remain as a separate division, separate accounting within an existing office. But if you're going to become an operating company, 
direct alternative investor, very active, a lot of employees. That's when you start to consider how much of a distraction is it on the business? How much of a liability am I creating? Are the skill sets of my employees of the operating company really the right skill set for them, their benefit, and for me, selfishly, for my my other alternatives? Are they really the right people and do they have the right training and skill sets? So the more complex it gets, the more people it gets, the more that it's less congruent with the operating company, that's really when you should begin to do a lift out and make it totally separate and apart. Yeah. You did a nice job of touching on it, but I mean, there's pros and cons here, right? Are there benefits that you've seen or consistencies where you've seen families decide, no, I want to keep it embedded. This makes more sense for us right now. Yeah. So, so, so many, again, the starts organically and those that are really good and disciplined and organized have lots of process and procedure. It's been working well. So why change it? They've got the separate accounting. They, they've been able to build that Chinese wall between personal and business. So it's not a distraction to the operations. The confidentiality and security is protected. So, you know, they've got the discipline to do it and it's maybe not a burden on the staff and a distraction to the business. So it certainly can be done. The reason why you want to begin to start moving out besides those other reasons is that, you know, if you're really thinking about an exit, right? exits on the horizon. And even if you have it separately situated, what they need to think about are the employees, right? Should I stay or should I go? That's the employee is going to be put in that position. And your friends who are in private equity know they're hiring the, they're buying the company, not necessarily just for the company, but for the talent in the company. So the family may be thinking, I'm taking my CFO with me to run my family office post liquidity. I'm taking three or four accounting people with me to manage all those things like they've been doing. And guess what? The buyer may require them to stay. And guess what? The employees may not want to go. So, you know, the drive to the office may already be a 30 minute drive. And guess what? Your family office may be on the other 30 miles side of town. So does an employee want to drive 60 miles to go work for you in a new environment? And hey, they've loved working in this company. They, they care for the family, but their whole life has been working in this business. And they don't necessarily want to go to a startup family office. They don't even know what that means. So for the employee's health, for the family's health, you really need to begin to think about the exit, not only to optimize the purchase price, but really who's going to perform the services for you post-liquidity. Yeah. And that was one of the things I wanted to hear commentary on is the cost of running a, a single family office has gone up exponentially. And the fight for talent is now, you know, you're competing against private equity and venture capital and wirehouses. To what extent has that impacted the decision-making process in this space over the last five or 10 years? Well, there's a lot more opportunity for more people to do different things. Lawyers, accountants, wealth managers can all of a sudden become lawyers and business people inside businesses, uh, doing finance and accounting. If you're an accountant or being the CIO in a, in a family office, instead of being a in the wealth management space at a firm. So there's a lot more opportunities for more people. And you're right. The question is cost and the cost has gone up dramatically for families, but there are different ways to compensate people, especially if it's an active family doing deals. There's often a way to do a carried interest, some sort of bonus pool, the more the family office succeeds, the more the employees could. So it can be very attractive to employees who may want to get out of the firm kind of bureaucracy and they're capped at compensation and going through compensation committee drama year after year. 
They may look at this as a way of being very entrepreneurial and potential big upside to be compensated as an executive within a family office. What are the common characteristics you see across families that do this well, either by maintaining an embedded family office or having a stand-up single family office or migrating to a multifamily office platform? So number one, governance is actually so critical to all this. So governance means lots of things again to other people. It just simply means the process. You're calling out a process of which things should happen. Just like if you're again, that manufacturing plan, you know how things roll within the manufacturing plan. You need to think that through and how things should operate well in a family office. Those families that have really good governance also have independent board members. They've got outside advisors who sit as a fiduciary on a family office board to help provide that outside perspective. Many families and successful family offices have committees, both investment committee, distribution committee, employee compensation and policies. So they're really going through in a very detailed way. And their committees are, again, filled with both family and non-family and sometimes independence, which I'm a big believer in having that outside independent perspective. You know, besides governance, family offices that also engage on the family side, right? It's not all business. The point of a family office, again, is to have durable uh, legacy and generate that. So if it's all business and nothing personal, and I represent a few families that are, they run perfectly, the financial performance is out of sight, but they're missing that third leg, durable family harmony. And the families actually are discouraged from being involved and upset that they're not involved. And I'm working with a multi-generational family now that says, what's the point of us being together if we can't be together? And so they're actually trying to put family back into the family office. And so shared philanthropy, community engagement is very important to the family office to make a healthy one. That That's the part that really is the heartfelt part, not just the science part. Yeah, that's, that's all terrific and, and super helpful. Rich, I want to thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. It's been terrific. If people are interested in learning more about you and the firm and your scope of services, what's the best way for them to connect and find out more? I actually could reach, we've got a website, it's full of information. I'm on LinkedIn. So the website is Xylogenesis, which is X-Y-L-O-G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Xylogenesis.com. And they could reach me there or go on LinkedIn at Richard Wolkowitz, W-O-L-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Happy to answer any questions. And I'm a big believer of operating out of abundance. So if you have a family office, you're thinking about it, I'm always happy to get on a call and talk to anybody. I got to ask where the name came from. So xylogenesis is the process of tree ring creation. So if you cut a tree in half and you see those rings, those that's the records the health and history of that tree. I wanted to have a metaphor for families so that they could think about them in a way too. And that's part of my exercise that I go through with families is using tree rings to show how continuity, congruity can happen, how families grow further apart generationally like the tree rings do, and how external forces impact the tree formation, drought, floods, wind, or, uh, strikes of lightning, just like families get impacted through birth, death, divorce, business cycles, industry changes. So we use different xylogenesis tools to help families relate more and, and make it less thrill. I love it. It's a great name. I, you know, I Googled it, but you did a much better job than 
which you got the internet, it can be very technical. So you did a great job of explaining it. Again, thank you for joining us. I want to thank our listeners. Please do leave us a review, comment on what you found to be the most impactful from the conversation. And Rich, something that we ask folks to come on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I play with my dogs. That's a good one. What kind of dogs do you have? A uh, German Shepherd in a lab. And they're, they're great animals. They're a great part of our family. They bring great harmony. Yeah. I've got a shepherd as well. They're the best dogs. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Rich, thanks again for joining us. Best of luck moving forward. And I definitely encourage people to check out the website, connect with Rich on LinkedIn. He's part of a great group, a number of associations that are doing really good work out there. So definitely connect and you'll learn a lot from what he's telling us all. So Rich, thanks again for joining us. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. I wish everyone a great day. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.